Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are here today to share survivor story number two. We are so happy you decided to hop onto our Living Free From Fear website to watch and listen Jaina's survivor story. We are very excited to be able to share stories like this in an attempt to help other women realize that you are not alone and that telling your story can be liberating. We want all women to take back their power and control any way that they can. I think it's always so brave of women who want to tell their story. You just might touch the lives of other women who are suffering and show them that there is life after abuse. Jaina is one of those women. She responded to our co-founder, Teresa Schmidtman's post on LinkedIn, asking women if they would like to share their story. Jaina Kelly is an award-winning author and blogger. Her memoir, Still Alive, Still Smiling, due out in late 2023, is a journey <clears throat> through trauma, mental illness, and healing with cats. You can find her online at janakelly.com. And after talking with her, I find her to be just an amazing, smart, and caring individual. She has a very interesting story because she was not the one being directly abused, but her parents and older brother were the ones impacted by abuse. And in turn, her life was impacted by watching that abuse and being indirectly affected by it all. I'm going to let Jaina tell us in her own words all about her story and how it has impacted her life then and now. So welcome, Jaina, and thank you for offering to join us to tell your story. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. We are just thrilled to have you here. Um, so I want you to tell me a little bit about yourself to start off. Well, um, I would say just like me as a human being, I, um, I grew up loving animals and we always had pets and that kind of transformed into a lifelong love of cats, which I kind of parlayed into blogging and freelance writing careers. But the other reason those cats were so important to me is because they were really the only, um, they were the only creatures giving me unconditional love in, in my home. And so I think that, you know, made me even more fond of, of animals and particularly cats, because it was simple. It was straightforward. Like, you know, you, you be nice to them. They're nice to you. Right. Um, and then in other, like, I have an English degree from the university of Maine. Um, I've been, writing since I was in my early 20s and that's that's years ago now yeah um, and uh, I've just really enjoyed using writing as a creative outlet um, and also um, it's given me a way to make a living which was also nice yeah right that's awesome well, we, we are very happy that you raised your hand and wanted to tell your story because it's not an easy thing for a lot of people to do, but I, I feel like you understand how helpful this could be to other people. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and the dynamics of your family life with your parents. Well, um, when I was really small, um, the dynamic between my parents was uh, I was mostly in the care of my mother. My father wasn't around very much for his own particular reasons, but 
Um, but when he was home, it was always very tense for me because I could feel like I didn't quite understand what was going on, but I could feel the sort of energy levels starting to rise in a really unpleasant way. Yeah. And um, that was just kind of then um, it would basically be a thing where, you know, we'd be eating dinner and all this drama would be going on. And then like, after supper and then we go to bed and then the fighting started uh, uh, so many many nights of just crying myself to sleep as I heard my 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 mother screaming stop it stop it you know to my father and him yelling horrible things at her and um yeah so you know often in those times <clears throat> I would end up um when I would wake up the next day I would go see my mother in her room and if she had like cuts or scratches or bruises from what my father had done to her the night before I did that little kid thing where you know you your your mommy tells you you put a band-aid on it and it feels better so you know that's and so when I was you know a three-year-old me it's like I'm gonna put a band-aid on it and it will feel better <laughs> and <laughs> I know. So, so, so sweet. yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel like um mostly most of what I what I what I remember is um just you know having my mother being my primary parent and right. um and your dad you I, said was a drinker. Yeah, he 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 was definitely a drinker and he um yeah, so his drinking, and I think he also had a mental illness that, you know, looking back, I can kind of see symptoms that are familiar to me from my own mental illness journey. Yeah. And so, <laughs> Well, I love this quote that you had said, um, people with untreated mental illness also have substance abuse issues. And so talk a little bit more about that in your perspective. Yeah, well, I would say that not all people with mental illness end up with substance abuse issues, but there's a sizable cohort among people with mental illnesses who have self-medicated, which is what like alcohol and street drug use is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sure. a way to try and manage the symptoms of the illness. Right. And so that's, that's why, um, substance abuse becomes a thing for a lot of people with undiagnosed and untreated mental illnesses. Yeah, for sure. So tell us about your dad specifically. Well, he, um, he was a very talented man. He played the guitar and he was a poet and um, he built houses for a living. My parents had a small design and build firm and my mother designed the houses and he built them. Oh, how nice. Um, and um, the one thing that I always remember feeling with my father was that that he was just not emotionally accessible. Mm -hmm. Like I would feel like, you know, I'd be like running up to hug him, you know, hug his knees and saying, I love you, daddy. And, you know, there would be like words, but no emotions behind them. Uh, and you and, can feel that. And it's just amazing how kids can feel things that parents don't think that they're paying attention, but you're absorbing everything. And it's just creating all these things inside of you, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, is I, I think a lot of people 
think that children below a certain age are just too young to remember and that it doesn't have any effect on them because of that. But right. honestly, children are emotional sponges and they start out that, you know, they, they start out that way from day one and right. they have no way, like babies have no way of processing all these emotions and especially like big grown up emotions, like fear for your life and stuff like that. So, right. um, yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, my younger brother, for example, was, he's three years younger than me. And I think my mother thought he was too young to remember for a long time. But um, just judging from the way his own life turned out and the fact that he ended up becoming an abuser himself. Um, uh, yeah. is just, um, I, I mean... Yeah, there, there's really no such thing as too young to remember. I mean, yeah, for sure. I know it. So, so tell us, um, how are your dad's behavior affected your family and affected you specifically? Um, well, for me, it, it, I was basically just scared a lot of the time. I just, I just kind of felt like when he was around, I didn't have, um, like, he just, he didn't feel safe to me. It's like at the same time I wanted him to love me, but at the same time, I just didn't feel like, um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is also the same man who I knew hit my mother. And so, I mean, right. and even as a little kid, I knew it was wrong to hit people. Like, yeah. I, I mean, so I, so I, it was just kind of strange to, to find myself in a situation where like an adult in my life one of my parents is doing something that both of my parents have told me is wrong at one time or another right it's confusing um, yeah confusing and scary and fear and feeling unsafe is just how everything begins to unravel in the wrong way all the time yeah, yeah. um so as a child how did this impact you developing and growing up? Well, um, one of the things that happened was that um, a lot of times domestic abusers will isolate their families to keep them from, um, you know, to keep the community from finding out what's really going on. Yeah. And sure. what that looked like when my parents were married is that I very rarely got to play with other children. Um mm -hmm. He didn't want me to go to school. He want me. He wanted me to be homeschooled. Yeah. Um, and so when my when my mother finally did leave my father, and I was in first grade, you know, and I didn't know how to act with other children. I uh, I mean, and I never and you know when the kids teased me, I didn't have any reason to believe that what they were saying wasn't true because in my world to that point, I believed that everything I had been told by my mother was true. And so I, you know, I didn't think that, you know, if someone wants to run around saying, you know, Jaina eats worms, like, <laughs> <laughs> right. this is not like, I didn't know how to manage that. And so yeah. it really sort of hindered me in my social development. Right. Yeah. And that's hard. And then it makes your life 
outside of your home that much more stressful. And then you want to be able to run home and share things with your parents so that they will help you and nurture mm -hmm. you. But that wasn't happening either. My guess is. Um, yeah. Uh, um, I, I think my mother, like after she left my father, um, she really tried, like she, she did the best she could. I don't, yeah. you know, I was angry at her about some of the ways she treated me over the years, but I honestly, like, once I went to college, I started studying the psychology of domestic violence and everything just totally made sense to me. Wow. And, um, and I was like, well, of course, you know, I'm not gonna, I, I, I mean, I'm not just gonna sit back while, you know, women are being abused if there's something I can do about it. And if there's something I can do to understand it better. Yeah, that's great. It's so great that you got educated in that way. Um, tell me some things that you love. I think I know one of them. Mm. <laughs> Well, um, of course, I, I love cats. I live with two of them myself. And um, I actually had a cat who saved my life while I was struggling with mental illness, which is, you know, was kind of the inspiration for the memoir that I'm working on. Oh, that's so great. Um, but I also, I, I love... I love nature and uh, I love art, you know, I love going to art museums and seeing the way different people um, saw the world around them. Uh, yeah. It's just, I, I just love seeing what the world looks like through other people's eyes. Yeah. And you love writing. So that's, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. that's so healing for you. I would imagine just having that as your thing. Yeah. Um, what are some things that you fear and that trigger you now, though, on the other side of the spectrum? Well, I would say um, one of the things that always gets me is when I hear a man yelling or like speaking with a really sharp voice. Yeah. Like, the, you know, I'm I'm between annoyed and angry and I'm being really sarcastic kind of that yeah. that kind of stuff makes me like you know it it makes my blood run cold yeah to, to hear that kind of it, stuff happening it's important to understand that because a lot of women don't understand that what their triggers are and so when you get into say the workplace or whatever and people are talking loudly or arguing or whatever and it has nothing to do with you but it's triggering yeah. them and then they're reacting in a way that's you know, not healthy for them and maybe inappropriate for the workplace, you know, so it's good that you've identified it. Now, when we had talked before, um, you said your triggers were abandonment, rejection, and men shouting. Yeah. <laughs> you said that trust is a big issue for you. Now, and so explain that a little bit, because that's super important that that's going to affect everything about your future mm -hmm. and you be, your ability to, you know, function in the world. So how has your trust issues been affecting your life? Well, um, I guess I would start by saying that um, in some ways, uh, I find it even hard to trust myself. And I guess to back up for that, um, while my mother did the best she could after she left my father, 
she was struggling with PTSD, which at that time wasn't even recognized. And then, you know, wasn't even recognized for people who weren't combat veterans for a year after that. Right. But, but my mother's own PTSD and the way it manifested turned out to look a lot like chronic emotional neglect for me. Ah. Um, and she just really wasn't able to, um, I, like, she wasn't able to kind of make me feel supported and like I had an ally. Yeah. Um, and so I grew up with this idea that I, I basically just have to do everything by myself. Mm. Um, which then, of course, makes it very difficult to reach out for help right. or to admit you're in crisis because, you know, you like I just still to this day, I don't necessarily expect people to care about my emotional needs or, um, you know, my the state of my mental health. And, you know, yeah. I, I, like to the point where I was like, I'm I'm in counseling because nobody wants to talk to me about my feelings. So I have to pay somebody to do it. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. Well, but you know what, honestly, friends don't ever have the right answer for you. So it just makes things yeah. more confusing because they, they say what they, you know, yeah. want you to, you know, they want you to feel better. So they're going to say whatever they think it's never yeah. usually helpful, but I get it. I know. And it, it's scary and sad and it's, it does shape you in a way. And that's, that's the thing about not having a soft landing at home where your mother or father or caregiver is going to help you through these things. So you kind of had to fend for yourself, right? I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was trying to just trying to manage my life, like going through my teenage years and all the trouble, you know, and all the changes and transformations that involves. Yeah. And also like, having living with my mother who has PTSD and by this point is an alcoholic because right. she's begun using alcohol to self self-medicate her right. emotional pain and chronic physical pain and you can see how this kind of like for women who then you know you're not married but for the ones that who are just trying to fill a void but they have all of these things going on then they're choosing men that aren't right for them and possibly are abusive in some way or they are just putting themselves in a worse position so it's funny because even though you weren't being physically abused you ended up with all the same triggers that mm -hmm. somebody who was abused has right that's important for everybody to know because I, I know a lot of people think oh well you know you you weren't abused but like these are these are triggers that maybe other people just have but you you know, you were in a position where you were watching it all happen. You were a child, you were absorbing everything that was happening. And then you ended up with all the same triggers that somebody who was being abused, you know, and your mm -hmm. dad, you said your dad had never, you know, hit you or anything, right? It was all. No, he never hit me. There was just like no emotion at all. You know? Yeah, I know. Right. You wanted any kind of. <laughs> any kind of physical emotion. And that's sort of sad because I feel like some kids will take physical abuse over no, no connection at all. Right. And not that they want. Yeah, I, I know a couple of people like that. I mean, that, you know, when they look back, they think about, I was acting out because I wanted to get attention, even if it was negative attention, yeah. it, it was something that happens. That happens a lot. Yeah. 
Um, so tell us about some of the things that you did overcome the past emotional wounds that were instilled in you. How did you overcome some of those? Well, um, I, it started with, um, when I was 19, I, um, started going to Al-Anon meetings. So, you know, for families of alcoholics, and that was kind of the first step into my healing journey, because I was like, my life is a mess. I really don't like what's going on. I don't like how I'm behaving. And this is going to be a problem if I don't do something about it. And so it's wow, great. I, yeah, I confided in my best friend that my mother was an alcoholic and her own father was an alcoholic. So she and she'd been in recovery for a long time by that point. And so she went with me to my first Al-Anon meetings. And um, that was, that was a really big, important first step for me. That's great. And it's so good that you recognized that you needed to do something or this could get worse for you. Um, And I feel like a lot of people don't have any kind of support system, although it didn't, well, it's good that you had a friend that was mm-hmm. in there. Cause really all you need is one friend <laughs> that's yeah. going to be in the space with you so that you can, and we all have our story about that one friend. I had the one friend who helped me escape from the abusive relationship. Teresa had the same friend yeah. and, you know, other had the friend who helped her yeah. escape from my dad, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't need a whole army. You, you really just if as long as you can recognize it and reach out, um, it's so important. And I, I really want women listening to this today to know that, you know, they're not alone and that all you need is one friend or one group like us to help move people through this. Um, so what made you decide now is the right time for you to come forward and to share your story? Well, you know, honestly, this is the first time I've ever had the opportunity to come forward and share my story in a more public venue. And it's something that I'd wanted to do for a really long time because um, I know that one of the most life-saving things for me was kind of feeling like I wasn't alone in this. Yeah. Um, And... I want to be that person for other people. I I mean, I want you to understand, like, if you are, if you were a child and your parents or caregivers were involved in an abusive relationship, there are going to be issues, but they're not insurmountable. You can do something about them. There are resources out there and I believe in you. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for that message. Um, you also had mentioned, um, you wanted to make the second half of your life about advocacy. And I love that so much. And then you want to reduce the stigma of mental illness. And I also love that you said that too, because, you know, people look negative negatively on all of those things, but the fact Mm -hmm. that you're trying by just your story to help that whole, you know, scene in those stereotypes and things that people say and it just it get, it's just so negative typically um so you're writing a memoir so exciting mm-hmm. i can't wait to read yeah. it it's about your a past experience so uh, tell me just a little bit about that like you don't have to give away everything about the book sure just a little bit about well, it. 
Yeah, basically, um, it's uh, the story opens with me meeting the cat who saved my life because, oh. like, I was gonna die that day. Oh my god! But I, <laughs> but like, we met and we kind of were both like, okay, I'll live if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it goes from from that moment, and then it goes through like working on a, a, a family project with my brother, my younger brother, who over the course of that time, I found out was an abuser who had a mental illness of his own. Mm. And um, just like trying to, like I have four nieces and three of them are my younger brother's daughters. And so, mm. um, and they meant a lot to me. And I tried to, to be for them what, um, what my mother couldn't be for me, which was a person who listened without judgment, yeah, who had compassion mm -hmm. and just kind of gave them like gave them the opportunity to talk about stuff and just know that it's okay and nothing is shocking. Like, yeah. I love you. I'm not gonna judge you about something or another. Yeah. Um, and then uh, that all was when I was living in Maine. And then I moved to Seattle in 2013. So this, the, the second part of the story is focuses around my experiences in Seattle where things like the geographical cure actually does help for some things. I, I <laughs> deliberately avoided leaving Maine for a long time because I was like, well, I've just got to deal with these things while they're here because they're not going to get any better if I move somewhere else. Right. Turns out they don't get better, but you get perspective. Yes. <laughs> um, and that was, and also this time when I was in Seattle um, has also been the point where I've really been um, starting to more effectively manage my mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, and I've found a much, uh, I've found a supportive community here. So oh, that's um, great. So yeah, so the second half of the second part of the story is is my experiences in Seattle and how that unfolded. Um, yeah. Oh, that's great. So as you know, we believe sharing your story can be part of the healing process. And mm -hmm. so have you shared your story before this? Um I have in like, you know, group therapy sessions or in individual counseling sessions or um, you know, once or twice with friends who've had similar situations. Yeah. Um, Did it makes you feel. Course, yeah. It, it feels great to be able to be like, um, you know, to, to break the silence and be like, yes, this actually does happen. This is not yeah. fake news. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a sense of relief in a way, right? Like, yeah, really, absolutely. Yeah. It's helpful. And especially if you're like you were in a group session, so you're you feel safe, and that whole safety piece, what you didn't feel when you were a child, and it just mm -hmm. carried through your whole life, and then in the end, you you find that safety again, and you're able to talk about it, and then you feel a sense of relief. It's like almost taking a deep breath, or a weight is lifted off your shoulders. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. know, I want every woman to feel that feeling, and if we can create a safe zone for people, that's like so yeah. amazing. Um, so before we let anybody who's on want to ask a question, um, what advice would you give anybody who's either experiencing what you're experiencing now or has experienced your, what you did in the past? 
Well, I guess I would say the most important thing you can do for yourself is to get some perspective on the situation. Because when we're in the middle of a situation, it's so hard for us to see they're gaslighting us or they're, um, yeah. you know, or this is totally inappropriate for them to be saying to that person or, um, and, you know, when we're in situations like this, we kind of start feeling like we're the one who's crazy. Yeah. Um, and sure. um, the abuser will certainly make sure that you continue to feel that way um, because that gives them more power. But right. so what I would really encourage you to do is to find a safe place to tell your story, to find a safe place to get a reality check. And whether that's, I mean, 12-step program that works for some people, some people not so fond of them for various reasons, but um, just be around people who are outside the dynamic of the the household and because uh, sometimes just getting that perspective can be like oh yeah I don't want things to go that way <laughs> what can right. I do to change them yeah well that's great advice and I think everybody you know listening they might find it difficult to do but it is completely doable and you're our you know proof of that yeah. Um, so it's terrifying to come out as a kid of domestic violence, <laughs> like a kid from an alcoholic family and things like that. But yeah, it's a relief when you finally do tell the truth. Yeah, it's got to be a relief. Um, Alexis and Teresa, do you have any questions at all for um, Jaina? Um, Jaina, hi. You said it's terrifying to come out as a kid of domestic violence or some abuse. Um, you're an adult now. So mm -hmm. did you come out as an adult or did you come out as a kid? I came out when I was an adult. Um, I was definitely in the atmosphere of secrecy, even after my parents divorced because of my mother's alcoholism. So yeah, I didn't feel safe coming out until um, after I was an adult. Yeah. And, and how go ahead. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And how, how did you feel? I mean, I remember when I first came out and it was of course with Karen during the interview similar to this. And I remember the sense of relief that I was actually able to speak about it and not be judged. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel about that? I absolutely, um, I, I totally experienced that sense of relief because I never knew anybody would believe me if I told anybody that. And uh, when I finally did, and not only did they believe me, but sometimes they were like, yeah, and it happened to me too. So that made me also feel less alone in my situation. How about you, Teresa? You have any questions? I want to say thank you and to just give you a huge kudos for coming live and telling your story live because when we spoke, um, you're not only telling your story in front of everybody about um, witnessing the abuse 
but you're encompassing so much more with your mental illness struggles and all of the other things that you talked about. And just, we've all dealt with domestic abuse here. This Mm -hmm. is just a sisterhood circle that unfortunately we really don't want anyone to have to go through or be a part of, but there are um, millions and millions of women part of it, right? But um, what you're doing and what you're telling, you're informing so many people of something that that we think that children that that were your age are not absorbing. Yeah. I had I had a son that was your age when I left. I didn't think that he was absorbing anything. And so what you're doing is bringing such awareness and you're being so brave and so phenomenal to do that that I just want to thank you for that. Because you. you have no idea of whose life that you're going to touch by using your voice and being brave and coming here for the first time and mm-hmm. telling your story publicly. So thank you. Thank yeah. you very much, Teresa. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. And we appreciate you because there's, um, you know, so many people that think, well, what happened to me as a kid didn't really have anything to do with the abusive relationship I'm in now. And so if they could see this path that you've taken and other people, they'll start to see, well, wait a minute, maybe I need to go back and heal Mm -hmm. that emotional wound from when I was younger so that I can have a rich and fulfilling life and have my emotions intact and I'm in charge of them, right? People just are, you know, not, they feel like they're not in charge of their life and they don't have any control of their emotions. Um, And it's because, like you said, you didn't feel like you were in control of much until you took charge. And now you're the success story. So we appreciate you. And we want to thank you so much for for coming on today. And um, I can't wait to hear what other people have to say. And we can't wait to read your book. That's going to be so exciting. And we'll put it on our... um, website and under resources and so that everybody can enjoy it yeah that'll be really nice yeah and i i do want to say just one more thing um that i think is really important to say and that is if you're the mother or or if you're the parents of children um who have witnessed you being in an abusive relationship with your with your partner I just want I just want to tell you that it's not your fault if your children are affected by this. But you do have the choice now to be able to help your children manage those feelings and process them while they're still very young. So just please don't blame yourself and don't don't take anything that I've said here as meaning to guilt or shame my mother or you or any other parent who has been the victim in an abusive relationship. Um, Things get better in the future and they, they can, and they will with you too. That's excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. 
All right. Well, we're going to conclude and um, I hope that everybody watching will either reach out to me or any one of us in this um, movement. If you want to tell your story, this is a, a great way to make a difference. All right, everybody. Bye-bye.